So good morning. I'd like to acknowledge that we are on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional gathering place of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene people, and the traditional homeland of the Métis people. CARFAC has engaged in a research and consultation initiative to create an Indigenous protocol, intellectual, cultural property, resource guide, and toolkit for the visual arts sector, similar to the one that was done in Australia. We aim to provide respectful protocols around the use and protection of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis visual art and cultural material. And this includes information about who has the right to reproduce, present, and reference traditional contemporary images, stories, and symbols. The toolkit will be shared on the website, indigenousprotocols.art, and it will include all of our podcast interviews, case studies, and the materials will be available to our community members. Today we have joining us Wilford Buck. Wilford Buck is from the Opasquiac Cree Nation of Northern Manitoba and currently works for the Manitoba First Nations Education Resource Centre as a science facilitator. He has over 15 years of experience as an educator and expands on the Manitoba First Nations Education Resource Centre's vision to bring a First Nations perspective to the sciences by doing what he is most passionate about, looking up at and thinking about the stars. Through his research, which centres on in a new star stories, Buck has found a host of information to interpret, analyze, and identify. And what do these Inuinui stories say about the stars? This is a question that drives and informs his star journey. The Canadian Teachers Federation has awarded Wilford Buck with the 2018 Outstanding Indigenous Educator Award, something that had made him somewhat incredulous upon hearing the news. Congratulations. Welcome, Wilfred. Good morning. And you're also an artist, curator, and writer. And in your curatorial and writing career, how do you go about engaging with knowledge keepers to extract and share those traditional stories? Well, for... for, uh the research that I've done and uh, is I follow my, my people's uh, traditional value, traditional culture. And uh, I, uh, I participate in ceremony and I travel and uh, I spend days at a time speaking with elders. Sometimes like you go to a, a, a fasting camp, a fasting camp is anywhere from, uh, from five to seven days. And, uh, and then you fast for, for four of those days without food, without water. And you pray and you dream. And, uh, that's part of the process of, uh, uh, quest for the quest for that knowledge. And, uh, also, uh, the, uh, the Sundance. Again, that's, that's probably about a two week process when you, when you make a commitment to Sundance to go and ask for, uh, for some guidance. And, Cause you got to help. You just go, don't go there and ask and sit and watch. You go there and you help because that's what's expected. You're there. You got to do something. You're not. You're not a, a passive observer. And so, uh, so when a person is uh, a question for that knowledge, they can be passive observers. They have to be willing to participate. 
in whatever's happening. They have to be willing to uh, listen. That's one of the more the most key things is is to be able to listen and listen without uh, thinking about a response that you're going to say because somebody said something, but just sit there and listen. Because uh, sometimes the elders, when they speak, you ask them a question, then they're not going to tell you the answer right away. They're going to tell you a story. And in that story, there'll be an answer, but you just have to wait and listen for it. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, when, when, when young, especially young people, when they're impatient and they ask a question, then the elders start telling a story. And uh, I hear some of them interrupt the elder. What, what has this got to do with the question I'm asking? And uh, the process, there's a process to it, and they have to uh, find that uh, that patience. But that's part of the process is that that patience. Can you share some of your um, experience that you're going to be having with your curation for the Star Stories at the Science Museum? Well, one of the things that uh, I was asked to do, I was uh, I was doing a little uh, a little project with uh, some of the schools and uh, pertains to a, a traveling portable planetarium. And uh, some of the research that uh, that, that uh, we found about the stars. So we used the portable planetarium, and I, I thought it'd be a good idea to uh, actually get out and see the stars without the, without the planetarium. And so we set up a uh, a camp just uh, north of the city in a big open field. And usually in the fall or, or springtime, we have a uh, a two or three day uh, observing observing time where we are open to the night sky and we sit out there anywhere from 30 to 100 people at, at night looking at the sky. Then we have a laser pointer. I have a laser pointer I use and I start telling stories about the stars, what various stars are up there at that time. And sometimes uh, it's anywhere from uh, four to six hours. But but we also have ceremony involved for those people that want to come and participate. There's a sweat lodge involved and there's a feast involved and there's a pipe ceremony involved. And so we do that, those protocols before we, uh, we actually start, uh, sitting down and uh, listening to the star, watching the sky. And in that process, in that process of, of doing that, the, uh, a lot of the knowledge, uh, that, that has come through that is, uh, again, again, in relation to, uh, in relation to the, uh, to the sky. All the, all the ceremony that's done is in relation to the sky. All the ceremony that's done is reflective about what's happening in the sky, and it's mirrored with what we do down here. And I understand you're writing another book? Yes, uh, in the process of uh, writing, actually two books. Well, I shouldn't say, I, I just finished one. I, it's in the editing process right now. And uh, it's a sort of like a autobiography of uh, of my time on this earth, mm-hmm. and uh, it's supposed to be uh, we're supposed to have a book launch in the, the spring of this year, and then I'm also uh, want to do a, a totally uh, redo the uh, Tipiskawikis, the night sky stories, and uh, with the new uh, new artwork and uh, a whole bunch of new stories. So we're just in the process of uh, doing that right now. And when you're looking at the stories, where are the stories? Are they just from Opaskwayak Cree Nation? Are they just Cree stories? 
Well, the majority of them are, are Cree stories. And, uh, they're, they're from all over. They're from, uh, right from, uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and into, uh, Northern Ontario. So there's, uh, and even, uh, some from, uh, from Montana, from uh, Rocky Boy, Cree Nation. So there, it's a wide range because, uh, the, a lot of the, uh, ceremony that's done, I attend the ceremony and, uh, some of the songs that are sung, they come from all over the place, from Rocky Boy, from Saddle Lake, from uh, Mistawasa, Saskatchewan, from Northern Ontario. So they're from all over. And a lot of the, thing, the things about that is that a lot of the stories, star stories, uh, in, in the various uh, different nations, like Anishinaabe, Dakota, Siksika, they have similar stories. They're, they might not be identical in the telling, but the, 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 the general gist of it is, is the same. They just use specifics, uh, uh, that, that are, uh, that coincide with their, their environmental area. So, uh, I came across a story about uh, Mr. Musqua, the big bear, and, uh, how my people tell that story, and then how, uh, in, in the plains near the Rocky Mountains, how they tell that story, and then, uh, the Mi'kmaq have a similar story, and they tell that story, and each, each of those, those, uh, areas tell the story different because uh, they have different environments and there's also various a- animals that are, are are indigenous to that environment so that's what the animals they use mm-hmm. and is there a, a protocol around sharing those stories from the other communities or is it uh, because they're Cree but just different um, geographic areas that there's not necessarily a protocol in place well, the, the original protocols when I started was that, uh, there's certain, these stories should be shared in the, uh, wintertime. Because one of the things is, uh, in the wintertime, they say that when, that's when, uh, Pepun Negate was up, and Pepun Negate was the winter keeper. And that's, uh, that, that group of stars is associated with Orion. So Orion is, uh, a seasonal, uh, constellation so when in the springtime in his fall in the fall time he starts coming up then he's with us all winter long and then as it starts getting warmer orion catches up to the sun so he's out when the sun is out in the summertime so we can't see him so when when orion is out we call him uh, like i said the winter keeper but we also call him usagi chak and the usagi chak's the trickster the teacher so when, when they were out the stories were told and uh, in traditional times, uh, that that was the case. But uh, the, uh, I guess the uh, the uh, idea behind that was in the winter time, in traditional times, when uh, when it got dark in the winter, it got dark very early, and it stayed dark for 16 hours a day sometimes. And so, what do you do with uh, with kids for 16 hours in the nighttime? And one of the things was they told stories. They they'd. Uh, They'd uh, have this big, huge teepee. They put about maybe two, three teepees together, and they'd have one area, one side opened, and then three sides cl- enclosed. And uh, the, the kids would sit on the enclosed area, and the elder would stand out in front on the open area, and then they would point to the stars, and they would start telling stories. And as they did that, the, the various stars would come up because the sky is, of course, going. stars are going across the sky, and they would tell these stories. And this this happened, ongoing process, throughout the winter. And then at various times, the elder would stop, and he would ask, okay, which star is this I'm talking about? What is this associated with? And then the the, the, the kids would have to uh, to, to uh, 
just repeat what what they remember about about those stories and how they associated with the, the various teachings. So this this uh, so the young people growing up, they they this became tradition. You tell the stories in winter because of this this process. But now now that uh, we're we're in a, a different type of situation, and uh, we have a portable dome. That that that's how my 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 uh, my, my uh, getting around the. Uh, the, the traditional uh, protocols of uh, of telling stories uh, in the in the winter time only is because we, we have uh, these are different times, and uh, being that these are different times, we have a portable planetarium in which we can go in and we can put up the sky the, the winter keeper, and we can tell those stories. But also that we, being being we're in the 21st century, a, lo- a lot of those things we we, uh, we have artificial light now, so and we have all all these other other distractions. So we have to uh, grab the, uh, the 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 uh, the, uh, the inquisitive nature of the youth, and this is one of the ways we do it. Otherwise, they will be distracted, and they are distracted by uh, by the phones, by the TV, by all the things that are mm-hmm. out there. So we have to just change, adapt to the times, which is what our, our people have done all the time: is just adapted to the times. But you'll find people that say they're traditional people that say, no, no, you can't tell the stories. You only can tell the stories at wintertime. <laughs> but a lot of, a lot of these uh, protocols I, I find for my, this is, this is from, from my perspective is uh, a lot of these protocols and tra- what, what they call tradition. This is traditional. You know, it's only traditional because the historical trauma that happened to our people. Uh, an example of uh, the sweat lodge, Matutsan. When I, when we started this, uh, going to the sweat lodge back in, uh, 19, uh, in the mid seventies, they, they were told that, uh, the only men went to the sweat lodge. And so all the young men went to the sweat lodge. And, uh, as the process kept going on and on and the women wanted to, wanted to, 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 uh, to attend. And so some, some of the, uh, some of the teachers said, okay, well, some women can attend. And others said, no, no, this is traditional stuff. But when you when you look into that that uh, that history, one of the things that happened is when our our uh, ceremonies got outlawed, and they had to go underground in order for for them to be performed. Then what would happen is on the reserves at night, the men would go out into the bush to do these ceremonies, and while the women stayed at home, they chose to stay home to to watch over the the, uh, the house and, and and make sure the kids were safe. And so the women stayed home and the men went out. And the young people growing up and seeing this, they said, ah, this is, this is the tradition. And so through that process, it became the tradition that men would do this and the women would stay home. But in reality, if you listen to any stories, they talk about uh, the matriarchal society and, and the women were the ones that uh, pretty much had the say in the last say in whatever it was that had to be done. And even now uh, I, I, I'm finding that, uh, from listening to the star stories and uh, see how they're reflected in the ceremony, every ceremony that's done by my people is done to honor Israel, honor the women. Every ceremony, mm-hmm. and so that says that the women have have a, a very strong place in, in in whatever whatever happens. And so these traditions that come up, they're 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 just uh, adapting to the times, and so we have to adapt to the times. Well, and that really brings us right back around to the 
traditional knowledge and intellectual, the indigenous intellectual knowledge that happens and how these stories have been changing uh, through the times and which which stories can be shared and which stories cannot be shared. And then how as an artist, they would even be able to start that engagement process if they wanted to do um, an image or something that, you know, has been deemed traditional to be able to find out how they can share that story and take it into that next, I guess, generation into that next mm-hmm. generation. Hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the ways that uh, example, uh, this past summer, uh, I was approached by a young lady in soccer and she's doing a big mural. I think her last name is winter standing. And uh, she's doing this big, huge mural about, uh, about the, the four directions and about the, uh, the teachings and she'd asked about a sweat lodge and she'd never attended a sweat lodge. And so I said, okay, well, you want to learn about a sweat lodge and you come to the sweat lodge and you participate in the ceremony. And uh, so she did that. And, and uh, she's had dream prior to that. She had dreams about this. And then when she came, those dreams be, became reality right in, right in front of her eyes. And, uh, you know, she was, she was very happy. And then she sat down and she, with my wife and I and she talked about what she was wanting to do. And she wanted to be respectful about it, and she wanted to participate in the ceremonies, and uh, she could use that image of the sweat lodge in, in, in that mural. And I, I said, "Yeah, well, you can because you're doing you're doing this process in a very respectful way, and you're participating. You're willing to participate in the ceremony. You're willing to learn." And uh, the the other thing with that is that uh, I used to work with an elder named uh, Don Cardinal, and uh, working with him from about nineteen. Uh, 1999, about, I'd met him. He's the one who uh, was one of the people that established that uh, sweat lodge at the Thunderbird House, right on Main and Higgins, in right downtown Win- uh, Winnipeg. And uh, he had that going. And so one day I was coming back from a ceremony, and I happened to drive by that corner, and I saw smoke coming up from behind the building. So I got curious and went back there. And there was uh, Don Cardinal and his wife, and they were getting the sweat lodge ready. So I asked them what they were doing, and they said, get in the sweat lodge ready. going to have a sweat. So I looked around, and there were just two of them working. And I said, well, where's your helper? And he said, well, you don't have no helper, just me. So I said, well, no, I mind if I help you. And he said, okay, sure. And so I, 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 from then on, I started working with him. But during that process, one, one time we were getting a lodge ready, and uh, a reporter from uh, Free Press came there. And he was taking pictures. He was walking around taking pictures. and. And uh, I, uh, I approached him. I said, uh, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm a reporter and I'm taking pictures because we heard about the sweat lodge and and we're going to do a story on it. So I, I chased him away. I said, you can't take a picture. You can't take pictures here. You've got to be respectful. And uh, so he went away. And then after after the sweat lodge was over, Don called me over and he, and he sat down and he said, uh, I seen you uh, talking to that reporter and you chased him away. I said, yeah. He's, t- he's taking pictures and he's being nosy and I, I thought he was being very disrespect- disrespectful to you. And uh, he said, yeah, well, maybe that's the case, but you got to understand this also. At this place here, right in the middle of the city, if you look around for blocks and blocks and blocks, we have a lot of our young people living on these streets. A lot of our young people will never 
set foot outside the city. This will be their existence in, in those, uh, in especially in the north end and on these streets in the central area. And that's all they'll know. And they'll know gangs. They'll know crime. They'll know drugs. They know all these things very intimately. But they know nothing about your culture. So if one, at one point they're looking at the free press and they see a picture of a sweat lodge, then maybe it'll start them thinking, hey, what's this? Where is this? I'd like to try that out. And, and in that process, some of them will come. And maybe in that process, some of them will leave those streets. And so I said, okay, that's cool. Well, you can come take pictures all you want. <laughs> that, that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, so, so that, that, that's, that's, what, that's what I feel, you know. And so this uh, young lady that approached and asked if she could put that sweat lodge on this big mural, I said, sure, go ahead. Again, through that, that same idea is uh, young people that are looking at that, uh, that picture and they see that sweat lodge, maybe, maybe they'll start asking questions. I think that's a really great example of how protocols have changed over their most recent decades that, that now this can be shared because it's not just about the specific community. It's also trying to engage others to come back to the community. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for all of this, Wilfred. It's been really interesting very engaging and i've again i've learned much thank you welcome